Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. And rather than talking about one specific movie or TV show, we're doing something a little different here. We're talking about a publisher of movies, somebody, a company that does boutique movie releases, home releases specifically. I'm talking about the Criterion Collection, and myself and my guest want to talk about movies that we think should be included in there or have been included there but have been updated. Now, in order to t- cover a topic like this, I need to have a co-host who is a cineast of all cineasts, and she is one-third of the power trio known as 302010, part of the Laser Time Podcast Network, Miss Diana Goodman. Hi, Mrs. Diana Goodman, how are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. Um, first off, like I said, a very good. This is a very niche cineast topic, so it makes me very happy. Yes, I was wondering, like, should I like get myself a turtleneck and a beret <laughs> to wear this and like have scones next to me in the midst of the recording? Like, it, this is very niche. I realize this. Yeah, I feel like I need to be wearing a black turtleneck and like a cigarette in a holder and just going like, "What is life? Huh? <laughs> art is life, and life is art." <laughs> it, it just turns into the Monty Python sketch about French cinema, and it's just the two people sitting in the dump just discussing <laughs> life. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to talk about the Criterion Collection and what we think should be included in there. So let's jump into our discussion of that right now. Okay, so Diana, I'll ask you first before we get into our list. When did you first get introduced to the Criterion Collection? Oh, pretty early on. Um, I waited a little bit to adopt DVD because mm-hmm. early DVDs just the quality was just not there for me. Like the color balances weren't quite right. Uh, sometimes they just wouldn't bother with widescreen, and I was just like. Mm. Let's give them a little bit of time. Like, okay, extras are fun, but I give them a chance. And so it took. It wasn't until probably 2001 or so that I really started with the DVDs. And then the Criterions jumped out almost immediately of like so many things that are not available because they're just too dang obscure or they're just too artsy fartsy. And then I had a really good video store at the time that just had a section especially of like they had classics they had foreigns they had all kinds of imports and they would just start jumping out of like ooh hello jean cocteau's belle et la bête okay always what so, so many things that like i read about in film school but never got to see right like you imagine like oh i have you could see breathless or les samurai or something like that of right. course we're, we're leaning into the french cinema here or like rome open city yeah things you wouldn't see in a blockbuster usually right um, mine is not too different. I mean, it was a couple of years later, but it was actually when Netflix was still doing their DVD service, which they still do, but they're mm-hmm. obviously primarily the streaming service. But I remember I was at college. I was, when I was a broadcasting and a film major, and it was funny because I always felt like a odd man out in the film major. I just felt like 
I wasn't RC farcy enough to be amongst them and everything. I'm just <laughs> like, all right. And like everybody dressed like they purposely went to the thrift store and everything. Everybody, and I'm just like, huh. And I'm just here in a, in a giant jersey and I'm like, well, one of these things is not like the other. Mm. And I, and I felt odd about that. But I remember I got the first one I got, I rented was Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Hell yeah. And it was the first time I, I take it out of the package and I see the C logo and I'm like, huh, what's that? Put it in the player and, uh, my wallet was never the same afterwards. <laughs> Because, of course, it started with DVDs and eventually when I moved over to Blu-rays and it's like Criterion Collection knows their worth. Mm. And so they'll charge a little bit more because obviously they're a special service. Same thing with whether it be Arrow Video, Shout Factory, Severin Films. One Like those are the specific home release companies. So like they'll charge you a little bit more than you would get a at your Walmarts if they still carry physical media. I'm not too sure. Mm. Yeah. See, my, my film school experience was different because I entered film school in 1995, and you'll recall when Pulp Fiction came out. So I was the artsy-fartsy one because I was like, no, everything doesn't start with Tarantino. Go with what he's influenced by. It's like, come. Yeah. I was the one who was wanting to punch him and just be like, at least go back to Scorsese, you bastards. You know. <laughs> Yeah, or like Scorsese or or Godard, like uh, his, I mean, his production company is named after a Godard movie. Yeah, yeah. And and to be fair, I was not that I was not that typical person. To say the Boondock Saints is the best movie in the world. Oh, I was not that guy in film school. Oh, don't God. worry. <sighs> uh, but whenever those came up in conversations, I, I'd just be like, "Oh, this is gonna be awkward. Mm-hmm. Let's see how this conversation goes." Yep. But I was very grateful for it because there were classes where I took one. It was like global cinema. Nice. And there was film genre where we broke the semester down to like every couple of weeks we do a genre, whether it be film noir or melodrama, which was kind of overlapped a little bit and so on and so forth. That's where it introduced me to a bunch of the movies, that, a few of them that are on my list. But I'll go to you first. What is the first movie on your list that you think the Criterion Collection should release? Well, I had to narrow this down a lot because I just like the last week, I just kept thinking like, oh, is this on the list? No. Is this on the list? No. Uh, so I decided in, in honor of my podcast, 30, 2010, where we look at movies, TV, music from 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago, I would look at those years in particular, 1991, 2001, 2011. And it turns out 1991 is really well represented in the Criterion Collection because it's a strange year. A lot of weird stuff comes out that mm-hmm. is perfect for the Criterion Collection, like the Fisher King or Slacker. But one I was surprised I didn't see there is Daughters of the Dust, which is a wonderful movie. And it seems like perfect for them because, you know, it's about the black experience. It's uh, pretty artsy, but not too artsy. It's very independent. And it's it's just a joy to watch. (laughs) Besides, you know, being important cinema, it's just a good watch. I mean, it's the kind of movie where it's like you've never heard of it, and then you watch it, and you're like, "Why haven't I heard of that?" Right. It's it's one of those things like you imagine like your life was one way without it, but now it's with there. You you can't imagine it not being there. Yeah, I I just I don't understand. So it's about um uh people from uh the Gullah people of the Sea Islands in South Carolina, 
it, like the turn of the last century. And they're, because like they're on islands and they're descended from former slaves, like they, they have very much their own culture, but there isn't much opportunity there. So it's about them planning on leaving, going to the mainland and, and trying to make a life. Mostly focused on the women of the family. And that sounds mm. like it's a major bummer and it isn't. Um, it is not a major bummer no one is screaming at each other no one's gonna get shot at the end you know it's not it's just sort of about their lives and if that doesn't sell you on it beyonce obviously loves this movie because there's a whole section of lemonade that is just straight up daughters of the dust huh yeah i I never realized that yep if you see a a bunch of women in white old-timey dresses on a beach Dodge to the Dust reference. <laughs> I'm just going to go get my dunce cap. I'll be right back. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, this is the most obscure movie I, I picked. Gotcha. But yeah, but, it is one that's like, it's a movie about people. I don't know anything about them, but they have very different lives than what I'm used to. They come from a very different place, but you totally relate to them about like, making hard decisions for your family and is this going to break up our family like you know if you've ever moved away from your extended family that same feeling of like but our lives are really changed now it's going to be different because we're not in each other's business every day like what's going to happen like yeah i feel that gotcha gotcha and i I imagine there's probably a bunch of people out there like a movie about ladies rebel 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 i don't (laughs) want to sit down to watch that and i'm just like well you don't have to but i feel like some people want to so don't deny that the people an opportunity for that yeah well you know try it you might like it exactly um and so for the first movie on my list is much like came from my college experience is uh Ashes and Diamonds. Oh. Which There we go. I watched that in film school too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which is part of the Criterion Collection, but it hasn't been upgraded to Blu-ray. Oh. It was on DVD and it's severely out of print and very expensive. And it was released on Blu-ray a couple of years ago, part of the Martin Scorsese Polish Film Collection. Ooh. It was like that. It was Knife in the Water by... Um, Polanski. Uh, he, yeah, Polanski. Yeah, he, he should not he, be named. <laughs> that's, that's what I was leading into. He should not be named. Right. Um, Roman that's who it was. Um, and I forget who, I forget what the third movie was, but yeah. And it's one of those transforming experiences where from the very first scene where the two assassins murder somebody outside the church, outside of a church, like the, what the premise of it being at the end of World War II in Poland. And it's the Polish resistance trying to now hold back the encroachment of communism into their land and how it really, it really fails this kind of, uh, I would say this resistance group and everything, but like from the very mm-hmm. first scene where they mur- they kill a man and it's like right outside a church and he accidentally sets fire as he falls into the church. You're like, oh, something's, oh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> and it just goes, it does, and it goes downhill from there, but it's a, Beautiful film from beginning to end. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I can add to that. It's just, yeah, it's one of those movies I feel like it, well, kind of like Daughters of the Dust. Like, it takes me someplace I don't know about. I've never been. I don't know these people. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, I'm super involved. 
Like, I, it's like, I, I want you to succeed, but also, like, I'm afraid for all of you. <laughs> right. Like, and I don't imagine... know if any of these ideas are good. I There's got to be an easier way than this, guys. Oh, wait, there isn't? Oh, shit. And it sort of turns into a Hitchcock movie where it's like we're waiting with people to perform another assassin, assassination, but um, the rules of drama uh, – conflict and ensues before they can get to their goal and how things go out of control. And I imagine if people, if you are, and it's going to sound strange, if you're fans of Schindler's list, I think it's one of those movies. I know fan of Schindler's list is a weird sentence, but if you're interested in that movie, I think this is one of those movies as, as a companion piece or something that you could see that could have inspired the approach to Schindler's list because of the, the, the very stark black and white photography, the setting, obviously, and so on. Hmm. Yeah. In in a weird way, parts of it kind of make me think of In Bruges. Hmm. In that, well, I mean, again, we have hitmen and we're in a small town and there's churches. But, <laughs> <laughs> but nobody calls somebody an inanimate fucking object, which is unfortunate. <laughs> they should. Uh, which is like one of my favorite insults to use. And <laughs> what like... Uh, like there was a technical issue during a podcast. My friend was like, I was, get, I was getting mad at my equipment and he just started the bust my chops a little bit. And I, so I screamed that at him. And so that made all of us laugh and able to calm the tensions there. So I was like, <laughs> all right, thank you. And for calming the situation. Um, but what is your next film on your list? Um, Hmm. Well, now I'm trying to choose. Cause I went through ones that are out of print and, those are frustrating because it's like, well, they're available elsewhere, but I would like to see the Criterion editions. Like the fact that the very first Criterion film is out of print and has never come back, Grand Illusion, that's kind of crazy to me. But it is available in other forms. But well, I want to see some of these, just I want to see the extras. So I'll go with my next one is Ron, uh, speaking of Kurosawa. It's one of the few ones I have not seen all the way through, and I, I kick Oof. myself for not. I know, I know, I know I, it's like, long. I, I know it's long, but it is so visually stunning, and that it's made by Kurosawa, who's practically blind at the time. <laughs> um, for just yeah, but it's kind of the extras on that one that I want more than anything. I mean, it's got a bunch of commentaries, it's got documentaries. Um, you know, it's got a film about it by Chris Marker. There's, you know, interviews with with actors. And I, it's the criterion is so loaded with extras. That's like, those are the ones I want more. But it is. Whew, yeah, it it blows me away. I, I mean, is it my favorite Kurosawa film in color? I guess it is. Yeah, I'm going to go with my favorite Kurosawa film in color. Um because the colors are so vibrant and you know, it's, it's just King Lear. We get it. It's, it's just King Lear. Um, mm. But with really strong performances and gigantic battle scenes. And it's, it's, it is the, like every frame is a painting kind of thing where it's just like, I don't know how he did this. Some of this, I don't know how he did it. Or like, how do you imagine something looking like this? I mean, like when I like the the footage I have seen of it, like uh, it's the images that, that stick out in my mind is one where it's the father he's sitting in the foreground, it's the flaming arrow flying around in the background, mm. or 
it's him sitting with the sons earlier on and the one son's like, uh, I can break all these sticks over my knee. Like, yeah, we were together, but we could still break. And you're right. It is just King Lear, but Kurosawa was one of the best people adapting Shakespeare to a new medium, whether it be Amen. this or Throne of Blood. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's, I, it, it is a movie that's like, I can't really tell you another movie that looks like this or that just sort of gives you the same overwhelming feelings. You know, because the one daughter who's evil, she's so evil, you know, but in in a way that's like, oh, I understand how you got this way. You're cutthroat, but I get it. But Jesus, lady, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's only so much evil one person can perpetrate. You're going like, pretty far. Yeah, it's like once it's one of those where it's like, what if you win? What are you going to even do with that? I don't think you know what you're going to do with that. Like, no, I think you're just. You're so dedicated to winning that if you do win, you're you're stuck. You're gonna be like, well, now what? Uh, who else right. can I kill? Hmm. I mean, that's the same like another Shakespeare story, like Lady Macbeth. Like, yeah, her and her husband will own control, but it's fleeting because I don't think they can survive without being in conflict with somebody. Yeah. Uh, so they were really nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you're right. I, I think the reason why. This podcast to begin with is because the Criterion Collection is a stamp of quality, whether it be video or audio wise, but also it's the special features. It's the, whether it be the little video essay, the essay booklets, or the hours upon hours of special features on the discs. Yeah, and to be fair, there's some movies that seem like no brainers for the Criterion Collection that will never be there because they're already being well curated. Like there's no Godfather or Godfather Two, or Vertigo or Casablanca. It's like no. The, those studios, they really take the time they care. They know that those are important films. But smaller indie stuff and a lot of foreign releases, like this is this is the way you're going to get your paws on them. Like, in quality form. True. But I, I was always, like, I was surprised within the past year I found that Warner Brothers did have a few Michael Curtiz movies in the Criterion Collection, whether it be Mildred Pierce mm. and The Breaking Point and Michael Curtiz, like, being one of my favorite filmmakers of that era, um, I was I was really surprised because he was the Warner Brothers workhorse. Yeah, very true. <laughs> um, and not a real good dude. Not like sounds this, like he uh, was hard to work with. <laughs> he was kind of a yeah. dictator. Um, but I guess that was uh, I, I don't know. This seems kind of pat, like uh, hand wavy, but like it's sort of the times shrug like i don't know like how it's not a good thing to say that but it was the case it's a factory man and <laughs> and part of me wishes they could be like that again but then again I'm like oh but then i think about judy garland i'm like no mm. on yeah. uppers and downers no 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 <laughs> let's not do that no uh do you have any other thoughts on ran nope no i think just out of the because i separated my list and sort of what's out of print and what's never been in print and out of the out-of-print one, getting out of the 1991 group for a second, it's like, that one's just like, oh, man. There's a couple more, like Third Man, but that's available on Blu-ray elsewhere and Grand Illusion. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not like this is the only way to get it. And there are very good versions of them with extras and stuff. So, but Ran in particular, it's like, oh, geez. <laughs> I want to see this Chris Marker film, man. <laughs> um... Nice, nice. Uh, so my next one is 
it has been released on Blu-ray, and I can imagine it could be something. It would be a nice addition to the Criterion Collection. It would have been nice to go with with Cyberpunk Cyberpunk 2077 coming out because it is. I know it's because it is. It is kind of t- tech noir and everything. It's Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days. Ooh, good call. And I know, like, it was a bomb on release, but it is. It's so enthralling and very and visited Afrika was very scary in it and <laughs> um and it's like one of the last big roles you saw Juliet Lewis in like mm. other than like a lot of TV and stuff like that have we seen Juliet Lewis as a major star since then? Ooh, yeah, yeah, she pops up and she's always fun to see, but. Yeah, I am I am a Catherine Bigelow stan, and there was the briefest moment where I thought about throwing out, yeah, another 1991 classic Point Break, which, uh, I, I've never loved, except for how stupid it is, but <laughs> <laughs> I know it is deeply beloved by so many people, partly because of how stupid it is, but that she's such a good action director. And so much of Strange Days just just puts the pedal to the metal as all kinds of craziness is happening. I, I mean, it's that and speed has made me f- afraid of the L.A. subway system. Because I imagine like <laughs> there's going to be evil men dressed as cops um, attacking people on the subway. That's what I imagine. <laughs> like if I ever take the subway in Los Angeles, that's what I'm imagining. Um, and I actually I had to stay at a. My former brother-in-law's house over near Christmas, just for like safety reasons, but health-wise anyway. And his housemate had never seen Point Break, <laughs> and so we're like, "All right, we're we're gonna be real slobs. We're gonna order food and we're gonna watch Point Break." And all three of us did scream in the air and, pre- and pretend to fire a gun <laughs> in the air at that moment because he's like, "I know that scene, but I don't know anything else about this movie." And it, so. And the fact that he's from the UK originally, he's like, so like that's just America in the nineties. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but Strange Days, yeah, it is a really wacky movie. But but it's even though it's like over two two hours long, but it is a pulse pounding movie. And the fact that it's never been re- released on Blu-ray, I think it's just fertile ground for the Criterion Collection to scoop it up. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. what is you're, oh, do you have anything else you want to say? Well, I was going to say, Strange Days sort of falls in with the, there was sort of, right, right around 2000, we got a lot of movies that had a very apocalyptic feel. And usually there was, it was a religious horror kind of thing, like uh, End of Days or Stigmata, stuff like that. But, <laughs> but Strange Days feels more like the world is actually going to end in some way, even though it's like it's leading up to the year 2000 to new year's 2000 but there's there's just something about it it's like if existence blinked out at midnight 2000 yeah that'd be a pretty good ending for this movie that makes sense yeah (laughs) (laughs) i can totally see that and the fact that you name drop end of days and stigmata i'm like oh yeah gabriel byrne was trying to bring the end of the world (laughs) in the year 2000 (laughs) not not kaiser soze was trying to end the world yep yeah, oh, what's man. that guy's problem? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It is so silly, that movie. End of Days, it is... Oh, man. Bonkers, to say the least. And, like, somebody put it, like, 
on Twitter put up the scene like, yeah, this one scene between Kim Pollock and Arnold has like 63 setups and mm-hmm. none of them are repeated. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why? It's a three minute scene. Why did you need all these angles? Oh, okay. Never mind. Like it was just infuriating there. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to get myself angry over this. <laughs> uh, so what is the next film on your list? All right. So. Again, because they're pretty well curated, I think there's a reason there's not a lot of Coen brothers on the, in the Criterion Collection. I think there's Blood Simple and Inside Lewin Davis, and that's it. But Turning 30 this year is maybe my second favorite Coen brothers movie, uh, Barton Fink. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I have been on record saying I think Miller's Crossing is my favorite. And that belongs in here, too. But Barton Fink is i you know a bit artier and it's also about you know being a writer and trying to create something uh while also sort of being trapped in hell <laughs> and uh and everything not making sense and your heroes betraying you and there is so much going on in such a short period of time and it again has this feel like nothing quite like it but also the feeling of like oh yeah the, the world could be ending right now that would make sense Sure. <laughs> you know what? Maybe we'd be better off. We just all die. <laughs> we're awful. People just, my God, we're awful. <laughs> if While also being on, a comedy, mostly. <laughs> yes. If people are on a watch right now, I apologize for this downer of an episode that we're starting with here. <laughs> like, I, just, I want to talk about movies, but now I'm just contemplating my own existence. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, just, I mean... It's in a broader sense, like, yeah, if you're just feeling depressed, that that's where you could go with it. Or it could just be about how Hollywood sucks. Which is curious because Coen Brothers were barely had a foot in the door in Hollywood at that point. I mean, yeah. primarily they had done independent movies up until then, even Raising Arizona, which was like a indie um, on a major indie label or something mm-hmm. like that at that point. Yeah, that was their so-called sellout movie. <laughs> where they thought, let's make something commercially viable. It's got a baby in it. <laughs> and just rewatching it, I was like, what are you guys thinking? <laughs> Your main characters are terrible people. There's no one to root for. Everything it's so wacky all the time. You know, it's a live action cartoon and this this is how you sell out. What? <laughs> I, I mean it is like it is a great whiplash of a night if you put on Blood Simple and Raising Arizona back to back. Um, and with Raising Arizona, don't start, don't end the night with Blood Simple because you'll just go to bed just feeling really depressed and yep. cautious of what's in the shadows. Yeah. Good. Yes. A lot of good shadows in that. But I mean, Raising Arizona is hilarious. And then they go to Miller's Crossing, which is this gangster film that's also a pastiche. It's got a lot of third man in it. It's got some Godfather in it. Everyone's double crossing everyone else. And then they go from there. While they were working on Miller's Crossing, they're having so much trouble figuring out where it was going to go, that they stopped and wrote all of Barton Fink and then went back to Miller's Crossing. Yeah. But and, then Barton and, Fink, I think it won Palm Door at, uh, at Cannes because it's, yeah, it's just not quite like anything else except for things that kind of try to get the same vibe. Yeah, it, it is curious. I mean, I mean, Mills, like you, Miller's Crossing is my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Yes. Um, I think, I think their perfect film is Fargo for one reason, mm. because 
Coens are great at absurdist comedy and dark crime dramas, and Fargo is a combination of the two. Good point. Yeah. Um, because having a cop getting shot in the face at a in a routine <laughs> traffic stop, and then a foot sticking out of a wood chipper is <laughs> like oh absurd, but you still laugh and you're horrified at the same time. But it is curious, like. Uh, Mills Crossing be the last film that Barry Sonnenfeld lends for the Coen brothers and they go to mm-hmm. see Roger Deakins from like majority of their career afterwards. Yep. Um, and I hate the fact that like the Coens, they never map out their stories. They go scene by scene. They don't do like index cards and everything. Like when they hit a wall, they just stop. And I'm like, as somebody who needs structure to write everything that I do. And I'm like, God damn it. That you guys make it look easy and it stinks. <laughs> Yeah, but I just, yeah, I don't know why out of all the Coen Brothers movies, I feel like Barton Fink is the criterion one. I I mean, maybe it's just because it does have such an odd vibe to it and that it is about classic filmmaking. Um, I Yeah, I'm not sure why. Why this one out of all of them? Fargo, I mean, seems obvious or even a serious man because it's more sort of existential and artsy. But Barton Fink it just remains one of my favorites. I mean, some of it is John Turturro's performance. Some of it's John Goodman's performance. Some of it's just just the look of the thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And my, my lifelong hatred of Wallace Beery wrestling pictures. <laughs> um. <laughs> and they have like a not so subtle F. Scott Fitzgerald in Hollywood drinking himself to death as a character in that movie. Mm, yeah. Well, I think he's a little more William Faulkner because he's such a Southern oh. gentleman type. But yeah. Oh, John Mahoney's so good. And Judy Davis, who we just talked about on 30 2010 about her Judy Garland TV movie, uh, mm. Me and My Shadows. Judy Davis gets no respect and she deserves so much. She's so, so good in that. You mentioned a serious man, and I would just hope if they ever did a serious man for the Criterion Collection, it would just be the main character's face half smashed against the chalkboard <laughs> when, and during that dream <laughs> sequence, and that would have to be the cover. Uh, like that's just that's it just writes itself there. <laughs> but, right. and, go on. Oh no, I was gonna say what? Uh, what what's yours? What's your next one? Uh, um, my next one is. Because they have released films from this filmmaker previously, but they never did the first one that really made him an international star because they've released The Killer and Hard Boiled back in the 90s in the Criterion Collection, Mm -hmm. but they never released A Better Tomorrow. Mm. And that's not on Blu-ray either. Oh, man. Okay. At least in this country. That that ain't right. Yeah. I saw that The Killer and Hard Boiled had been early Criterions and then they, they went out of print and I just sort of hoped like, oh, you know... Once John Woo became more popular in the States, maybe they, maybe someone else released them and there's, there's decent cops uh, versions out there, but man, a better tomorrow. That is shocking. That is a perfect criterion movie. Right. Cause it is sure. It is a Ash movie, but it's a tragedy more than anything else. Yeah. And because that's, there's so much tragedy and a lot of John Woo's work. I mean, what he, I, I think Jammu is romantic at heart, but mm. he's also not totally sentimentalist. Like, oh yeah, real life tragedy happens. And then you just look at the end of The Killer. That's a heartbreaking movie as <laughs> uh, two men with dual pistols mowing down hundreds of men. You end up crying at the end of that movie. You don't expect <laughs> to. 
But A Better Tomorrow, yeah, it is the first of the heroic bloodshed movies. And yeah, you can get these movies through, I think, a company called Dragon Dynasty. But I think the Dragon Dynasty is a subsidiary of the Weinsteins. So you hey. ethically, you might have an issue buying stuff from them. Like, I got them right before, like, the article came out. I'm like, um, if I bought these afterwards, I would have felt really icky. Hmm. Yeah, I I wonder with some of Criterion stuff, like, is is it just a foreign distribution issue? Because I saw, like, they, they had some John Woo, they don't have John Woo anymore. And I am absolutely shocked to see no Zhang Yimou films released by Criterion. No Raise the Red Lantern, no Judo, no To Live. House of Flying Daggers, Hero. No, nothing. It's like, really? Like, yeah, Race the Red Lantern, uh, like, uh, Better Luck Tomorrow is sort of like, but this is, I mean, this is a serious drama, but done in a distinctly Asian way. I don't want to say it that way, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is a particular director coming from their particular culture and that is represented in the film. Mm. And that makes it, different more interesting than you know if this were the american remake it's like well, i mean you can't do an american remake or raise the red lantern that would be really weird because it's about having multiple wives but <laughs> um maybe maybe there's a weird way you could do like a fundamentalist as i say a latter day <laughs> church version yeah but i mean from the cultural context like no it needs to take place in this particular place and time from a director who understands that particular place and time Mm. And yeah, man, better, or yeah, better tomorrow is just, did I say better luck tomorrow? Was I thinking of the other? <laughs> you did say better luck tomorrow, but I'm like, you're, you're on a roll. So I'm not going to interrupt right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, this titles are too close. No, a uh, better tomorrow is, yeah. Cause I mean, it's also, I mean, it's a cop film, but it's also like a drama about friendship and mm. you know what you, where you think your life is going, then it goes in a different direction. And it's like, well, all that stuff is pretty universal. Right. And you, like, it's classic where like, oh, one person wants to go straight and like criminal wise. And then like the old life comes encroaching on him. And it's also, I know John Woo always like he thinks himself as a frustrated actor and him as a small role in that movie is always really? fun. Yeah, I think he's the inspector who keeps an eye on the main character in Better Tomorrow. Like, wow. I think that's what it, I think it's. I'm pretty sure that's. Mis I, I could be mistaken there, but yeah, a Better Tomorrow I think would be perfect for that. And I don't know, just the, the high res version of Chow Young Fat for the first time with dual pistols in his hand. I'd be there for it. <laughs> uh, what about you? What's the next one on your list? All right, let me get into something. More popular that, again, turning 30 this year, but really ripe for a, a look at or a, a reconsideration, Thelma and Louise. Oh. I am really looking forward to talking about Thelma and Louise because I remember at the time people were like, oh my God, feminists want you to go out and murder people. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh no uh but is shooting a rapist while he's raping someone's really so bad i don't know or shouldn't no. she just wait for the cops well look at what assholes the cops are they are just laughing about dumb broads so 
Mm. Well, look how you dressed. Did you lead him on? Yeah. Yeah, like those are the kind of questions. And then you're like, no, it's. I think that's a top five Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. And everyone forgets it's a Ridley Scott movie because it is so unlike what he usually does. And there's no, there's not a lot of smoky atmospheres. (laughs) No, it's not. You're not in an urban environment that's backlit with a lot of rain on the on the ground. Everything that's nice highlights being kicked up. No, no. it's not like that. Nope, it's mostly in a car and the big open road, and it never feels. Uh, I mean, it feels it never gets boring to me. It never feels repetitive as they're shot. You know, they're shooting just driving in a car. You'd think that would get pretty bleh. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's very atypical for Ridley Scott. I think he does a fantastic job. Both the lead actors are amazing. And it's, uh, yeah, after after hashtag me too, it, it might be interesting to see <laughs> how people feel about it. Or if they're like, what's the big deal? Come on. Or, yeah, I just watched Promising Young Woman. That's way more tough than this. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Right. I, I guess you imagine it like, as like a stepping stone to telling other stories and it might have Michael Madsen's best performance. He's pretty good. It's like the rare time where he's not playing an obvious criminal. Like he's just a guy. Yeah. It's like that free Willy. Like he's just a good (laughs) dude in those movies. I know diametrically opposed movies there. (laughs) Um, And a baby face Brad Pitt. Oh, Brad Pitt's introduction is one of the best, like, oh, this guy's a star. This guy's a freaking star right here. Uh, yeah, I was reading it's pretty amazing. Reading, what was it? Uh, I was reading the book, uh, My First Movie, 20 Celebrate Directors Talking About Their First Film, Ooh. and it was... Uh, Tom DeSillo talking about Johnny Swade and how his his lead actor mm-hmm. was Brad Pitt and like nobody knew who he was and then like he got he got Thelma Louise right afterwards and like hey he's got a lot of uh, he's got a lot of praise around him maybe we'll have Johnny Swede be a bigger hit sadly no but it, it was just curious like to see filmmakers out there you never know who you could be casting so always be kind to whoever walks through the door. So, mm. and, and it's really something where, where, here's a theory I have about Ridley Scott and mm. the Scott brothers, I should say, Ridley made the more groundbreaking movies. Mm-hmm. Tony was more consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can feel that. Tony is very consistent. Even his movies that I thought like, oh, the script, I feel like I've seen it a dozen, dozen times. It's like, it's it still keeps moving. Some of them, I feel like he over-directs. And I like it when he pulls it back a little bit. Like the Pelham 123 remake is like, the directing is obnoxious sometimes. Where it's like, stop, stop drawing attention to yourself. Calm down. Every setup's going to be on a 360-degree dolly. We're going to be constantly zooming. We're going to be yeah. frame skipping. You're like, like I'm going to have a conniption. Dude, it's about a train that's not moving. It's not moving. <laughs> Unstoppable is where the train is not is going to keep going, and then he does a much better job. Yeah, and Unstoppable, I always thought, like, that's what Speed 2 should have been. Ooh. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so back to Thelma and Louise. Yeah, I mm-hmm. absolutely adore this movie. And it, I guess it's unfortunate it became such a cultural touchstone that it became immediately parodied every which way from Sunday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, right. And it's just been boiled down to like two lawless gals in a car robbing people or something and then driving off a cliff for no good reason. It's like there's good reasons for all of this and they're not robbing people for funsies. Just no. Please, please just watch the movie. <laughs> And, I mean, professional uh, scumbag in the 1990s was Christopher McDonald, who is the <laughs> uh, dickhead husband to Dean Davis in that. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's such a dickhead. Yeah, it's... It, it, uh, ah, but um, what was I just thinking? Well, I guess it's a nice... It, it's a rare turn where, like, Harvey Keitel is the nice guy out of every man around. And keeps his clothes on. <laughs> yeah. I know we don't. That was kind of rare for that period. Nineties <laughs> Harvey really liked to get naked. Oh, doesn't remind me of a when I worked at Walmart. There was an overnight coworker who would say, "Say Bad Lieutenant is my favorite movie of all time." And I'm like, "There's a reason why you're working the overnight shift, aren't you?" <laughs> I know it's mean to say, but it was just he was a weird dude. And yeah, Harvey Keitel liked to get naked in the nineties. Well, you know. Yeah, for a long time, that was the only, like, male full frontal nudity that we got. Yeah. Feminism. Watch Thelma and Louise shoot things more. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Um, the next one on my list is another director who's a major star, and he's got a few films in the collection. This is another movie that's not released on Blu-ray yet. It's David Fincher's Panic Room. Oh. And you think, oh, Obviously, that'd be on Blu-ray, and it's not. It's really weird. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's that it's the Abyss and True Lies. Like those are the three major releases. Like those are not on Blu-ray yet. No idea why. Well, yep, two of them. Cameron just did not uh, completed his uh, upgrade of those movies because he's making forty-two Avatar movies. Yeah. But Panic Room, yeah, I love how the fact where even in the opening commentary in the DVD, Fincher says like. Oh, there's a difference between movies and films. Fight Club is a film, and this is definitely a movie because this is meant for Friday night people. And like, hey, you want you and your significant other want to go to the movie and eat popcorn and have a thrill ride, and Panic Room is perfect for that. But it's the last of Fincher being very obvious with his direction. Oh, it's so so obvious sometimes. It's like, oh, we're going to pan through this room through the. The teacup, ho- the, the handle on the cup holder, yeah, because I can, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna go through events, and then we're gonna go outside, and then we're gonna see the the CGI flashlight clicking on and off. But it is, I I, I love Forrest Whitaker's performance in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, Forrest Whitaker is a is a a triumph in whatever movie he's in, but him being very conflicted in this is astounding, and I'll. I'll forever be afraid of somebody named Raul <laughs> because of this movie. I feel like Dwight Yoakam doesn't get any credit for his acting. No, Between this and Sling Blade, he's actually a pretty menacing guy. And apparently he's just like a real nice dude in real life as a country singer, but like he's good at playing creepy. Yeah. It's just he's off putting, man. He's really creeps me out in this. But yeah, I this is Another, kind of like Thelma and Louise, where, I mean, again, we have two female protagonists, 
uh, being besieged by evil men in a pretty closed environment, and it doesn't ever feel... It's the right kind of claustrophobic. It's not, like, tedious in his claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. But I also find it like baffling that like this had more shooting days than Fight Club, and I'm like, <laughs> you're in, you're in you're in one location, like 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 my eye begins to twitch there, and I'm like, I get it. you had to replace the cinematographer halfway through production, but mm. yeah, I think him and Darius Condry had like a falling out during the making of that, and then another cinematographer came on, mm. which is kind of unfortunate. But I think it might be Kristen Stewart's best performance. It's pretty good. Yeah, I know she was like the punchline for a long time, but I think she's actually a really accomplished uh, actor and just a storyteller. So I'm just like, give this one a chance. A lot of people will be like, "Ugh, Twilight!" I'm like, first grow up and then just give this yeah. movie a try. Dude, I, I, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart have like the smartest managers in the world. Just that they they made their bank on you know the the fluffy teenage movie that was ridiculously popular, and they've done practically nothing except ridiculously artsy weird stuff since. Just stuff that seems, I don't know, more artistically fulfilling. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I would hope to God yeah, they they invested their money wisely, and so they can just like yeah, I can do whatever the hell I want. Yeah, sure, I was part of these terrible movies, but like. Passing and go off and do things like the lighthouse, yeah, and people exactly. will show up for it, yeah. And, and Kristen Stewart will like go off and do foreign stuff, uh, or yeah, Clouds of Sil- Silmaria and Personal <laughs> Shopper and stuff that is like she's just like interesting directors that she wants to work with, I guess. Okay, yeah, you just do whatever you want to do, man. <laughs> yeah, she could just be doing. Romantic comedy after romantic comedy about like, oh, this uptight workaholic lady doesn't know how to have fun. Now here's some wacky guy who's going to steal her cell phone and now there's a mix em up and like, ugh. I just want you to know that the Hallmark Channel is triggered by your recent statement right there. Yeah, I'm right now reading a... Uh, romance novel to go on to another podcast and yeah it's like oh yeah i understand the hallmark channel a little better now okay it's like because it's a modern romance novel not like a bodice ripper and Mm -hmm. i'm like "Mm mm-hmm oh had to go back to the small town Uh uh-huh oh there's interesting characters there are there oh there's two guys and they're very different hmm i wonder where this is gonna go (laughs) (laughs) oh i mean like, is Fabio still on covers of romance novels? I don't even know. No, I don't think so. Okay. After Poor that guy. bird incident, it was never the same. No. His beautiful, <laughs> beautiful face. Oh <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Panic Room. And what's the final one on your list? Oh, um, I am torn because I have two more movies from 1991 that I want to mention. But I... As much as I would love to say Cape Fear, because it is a different kind of Scorsese movie, I'm going to go with Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood turns 30 this year, and also needs a reevaluation. And just strikes me as, it's important. I mean, that's the interesting thing about doing 302010 is that, you know, we're going chronologically 
through mm. all these years and to see hip hop become more predominant as a musical genre, more popular and to see it like, Oh, it's starting to creep into movies. And like, we've got, um, what's it called? Oh, new Jack city coming up like in a couple of weeks. And it's like, boom, here we go. This is, you know, gangster rap being reflected in a film and to realize like, Oh, when boys in the hood hits, like, yeah, there hasn't really been anything like this yet. Mm. None of these issues have been addressed there about, you know, just living on in South central and what attracts people to gangs and the violence and trying to stay away from violence and what, issues are young people facing and i don't know if there's any john singleton in the criterion collection either i nope. don't think so but if there is going to be one movie it would be boys in the hood yeah as much as i love shaft remake in 2000 <laughs> honestly that movie is so much better than it should be it's freaking great but boys in the hood is like i i can't i don't even know what to compare it to for like what like just dropping a bomb in the middle of of just the regular old hollywood day to day i mean get out is like the i can think of just like where did this come from holy shit <laughs> that feeling of like i never thought about this stuff oh my god i mean the only one that's akin to that is colors and that's mm. very hollywood yeah yeah and then after this you get some other you know type stuff there's juice gang related uh menace to society i think is really good but mm -hmm. yeah boys in the hood as being like we you know we have a, a new voice just you know he's young he's black he's telling stories about young black people in a way that like we just haven't seen it it's it feels authentic because it is pretty authentic and you know, the story is pretty simple and there's a certain amount of like, oh, I know where this is going. But that's just because, I mean, some of these are tropes and some of these have just been overused in the 30 years since. I mean, it is one of those heartbreaking movies. I mean, whether I think the scene that obviously hits me the most, it's spoilers for people for 30 for <laughs> for Boys in the Hood. It's when Cuba Gooding Jr. goes to get his gun. Oof, yeah. And his father confronts him. Larry Fishburne, I think, was still... Was he still Larry at the time? He might have been, yeah. Don't ever call him that to his face, though. No. <laughs> He's a very... I imagine him being a very warm, but a very intimidating uh, presence, so I would never do that to him. Mm. But him convincing him to get... Convincing his son to give him the gun, and I'm just like... I mean, waterworks start immediately right there, and I'm... Yeah, just the sheer frustration of no, I I have to write this wrong. There there has to be some justice for everything I've been going through, and it's like you just no, that's not justice. You're just gonna make things worse. You have your life to live. You you gotta pull it together. Oof, yeah, so such a good scene. And, and it, it is curious because new, like you said, New Jack City is the same year, but I feel like they're. Very different movies. They're worlds oh, yeah. apart. Yeah. Well, New Jack City really got criticized for glamorizing, you know, the the drug trade. And, but it's weird, like, rewatching it and seeing, like, how many, all these things that I, like, I, I see in other things about drugs, realizing, oh, I first learned about that from freaking New Jack City. The <laughs> idea of, like, 
you package drugs. Everyone who's packaging drugs is naked or in their underwear, so they can't smuggle things out. (laughs) (laughs) I learned that from New Jack because they wanted to have a scene with some titties in them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Every now and then, my friends and I will, like, in a group chat, will just send each other the still of iced tea. It's like, I want to kill you so bad, my dick is hard. I'm like, it is such a ridiculous line. It'd be no context whatsoever. It'd be like three in the morning. Somebody will send it to each other. We're just like, God damn it, we have that image in our head. Jeez, thanks. Um, and like when Judd Nelson was a bankable star, so like I know it sounds like I'm being mean, but no. Mm. Um, or even the insult of like, sit your five dollar ass down before I make change. Perfect insult. <laughs> <sighs> yeah it's uh i mean the hairstyles and the the fashions too are both of them just, they capture a time and place but yeah i'm old enough to remember and younger people might be like why like dude that's what that's what people did people had high top fades it's just it was a thing <laughs> just deal with it yes that's what chris rock used to look like <laughs> he was a little bitty baby with a oh. big old high top fade yep <laughs> size of a pencil i mean he was like <laughs> sickly thin in that movie and i'm just yeah. like oh please like somebody help him and <laughs> and it's so curious because of it being a mary von people's being the son of um melvin Mar- Mar- yeah and just the lineage of black exploitation right there mm-hmm. yep that's that's a good point and yeah, and then going back to Boys in the Hood, so many people that it's like, oh, we've seen them. This is kind of like their breakout, and we've seen them over and over since then. Besides, yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr., Lawrence Fishman been around for a long time, but he was kind of he was kind of a hey, it's that guy still. Mm-hmm. And then getting you know Ice Cube, I think film debut, Morris Chestnut, Neil Long, Angela Bassett's in it for a hot second. Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, Regina King's in it for a hot second. All these people mm-hmm. is like. Yeah, you give them time, and they are developing into, you know, bigger and bigger actors <laughs> Actors until they become, move up to, hey, it's that guy, and then move up to, like, oh, yeah, Morris Chestnut. <laughs> He's in all kinds of things. A lot of romantic comedies, too. It, it is starkly contrasted between, like, Ice Cube and this, and then, like, are we there yet? <laughs> But I shouldn't make fun of him, like, hey, he's got bills too, so I can't really knock him. I mean, I, like the, the bigger joke is I see being a loner at SVU, and I'm like, cop killer is still no. out there. But okay. Yeah. But it's also is interesting to contrast Boys in the Hood with Do the Right Thing, which are a year and a half apart or so, and you see mm-hmm. like, oh, these are, again, black filmmakers taking on issues, you know, in their you know, in the black community in just really different ways and going in very different directions with them. Mm. Yep. Also, I did not realize I I just am like scrolling through Wikipedia really fast right now and finding out that, oh yeah, Lawrence Fishburne was hired because he met John Singleton on Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> Singleton Cowboy was Curtis himself. Yeah. Singleton was a production assistant. <laughs> Wasn't like, Rob like, Zombie PA on there too? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, like uh. you said, you know, always be nice to people as they're coming up. Because <laughs> you don't know. Be nice to every production assistant because they, they might put you in their Oscar nominated movie. Yeah. Jeez Louise. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's funny. One of my one of the AMC theaters here still has like giant marquee posters up in like the hallways, and one of them is Boys in the Hood. And I always say, like, if you're gonna when this place if, if this place closes, I'll take that. I don't know where I'm gonna put this four foot but eight foot poster, but, but I'm like, I'll find a place for it. Yep, I'm just wallpaper with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so. My final one in the list I think it should be included in the Criterion Collection is Paul Verhoeven's The Fourth Man. I have never seen this. You got it's me. A, it's a precursor to Basic Instinct. Huh. Where okay. it is a writer having these weird kind of... He's having this kind of a crisis of faith. Well, ha- might be... while having this affair with this woman, but he finds out that she's a black widow. Hmm. And the, the spider in the web kind of thing uh, happens afterwards. And it is, I mean, it's one of the first um, collaborations between Paul Verhoeven and Jan de Bon as a cinematographer. The camera work is oh. gorgeous in this. And, with that, like John Retainer says, like the reason why I hired Jan DeBond to photograph Die Hard is because of his work on The Fourth Man. And then there is a DVD release out there with the commentary by Paul Verhoeven, who is just one, he's in my top five favorite filmmakers. He's one of the reasons why I want mm. to make movies. So, um, so, and if you ever listen to an interview with him, how energetic he can be, that's like <laughs> that for an hour and 45 minutes of him on the commentary. And yeah, it is just, it's hypnotic. That's the word I would use to to describe it because you're like, oh, something's. It's very dreamlike. You don't know, like, all right, what's going to happen next? Who's going to potentially die next, and how they're going to die in an awful fashion? <laughs> and yeah, it is a cool little thriller. I feel like more people should see. Oh, I I think I just found my my film viewing tonight because yeah, I'm also a big fan of Paul Verhoeven. I was bummed to see that there was a criterion of RoboCop that I believe is out of print. Um, it wasn't too heavy on extras, except that it is the unrated original cut. Well, mm-hmm. unrated in that I think it originally got an X and they had to cut down the violence. And it's like, I'm, okay, I'm curious to see that because R-rated RoboCop is extremely violent. <laughs> um. This, this is gonna sound so. This is gonna sound so fucking nerdy, but mm. on this podcast, um, do it. And my friend uh, does collect laser discs from time to time, and he did get a Criterion Collection laser disc of RoboCop. Nice. And even like we had on, like we plugged into a CRT and everything, like, <laughs> and so just to really add to the atmosphere, and it still looked really good, and. Like you could tell the unrated parts because obviously from like a work print. So when we cut to the like obviously the biggest moment is uh, we see Mister Kenny get shot even more in the boardroom scene. Like there's an overhead shot where he's like he's like literally turning into hamburger meat. And (laughs) I remember seeing uh, I didn't see the unrated cut, but I did see a 35 millimeter print of RoboCop in a revival theater. And there's two couples in front of me, and the gentleman, the couples. We're obviously fans, and their ladies had never had seen it before. Oh boy! And so, I'm, and so I'm watching their reaction of Mr. Kenny getting torn to pieces, and I'm like, "Oh, you have no idea what a ride you're in right now." And it was impressive to say the least. But yeah, it is. 
you can find the unrated cut of Robocop on Blu-ray now. I think Arrow Video has a really nice uh, edition out right now. But yeah, yes. The Fourth Man, it is a lot of fun. And like I said, if you want to pair with Basic Instinct, it's a lot of fun to do that. And you said you had a few honorable mentions that are kind of like out of sequence. Yeah. A couple honorable mentions of things that are out of print now. I mean, I already mentioned Grand Illusion, but Peeping Tom is a heck of a movie. Oh, man. You should watch Double Feature with Psycho. It is freaking great because it's about uh, a creep who likes to photograph people while he is killing them. And it was really controversial at the time because, you know, it's obvious that this guy is like getting off on it. It's a it's a sexual compulsion serial killing thing back when we didn't have the term serial killer yet and understand how some people like their sex and death wires get crossed. And that's like why they do it. Um, I only finally saw it like a couple of years ago and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this is from the early 60s. Are you shitting me? Yeah, it, it's the reason why I killed Michael Powell's career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but Powell and Pressburger are pretty well represented. Like a bunch of their movies. I was like, this better be on here, man. Like Matter and Life and Death. Okay, that's on there. Okay, cool. Cool. Is the Red Shoes in there? I think so. If not, I know it is on Blu-ray and it's gorgeous because I own that. Yeah, Red Shoes. That's the, okay. That's the one I have. Yeah. Um, go uh, on. Oh. I, I keep going. Um, like I say, I have I have like two or so. I'm like, I just didn't know if you had any more. Okay. Uh, one movie from, what is it, 2000 that I rewatched and my God, I enjoyed it so much though that I feel like Criterion could look at is Quills, which I don't know if you know that one. That's another one of these movies where it's like, I didn't even hear of it. It got some award buzz, but didn't really make any money. And then you watch it and you're like, everyone go watch this movie. It's fucking bonkers. <laughs> uh, because it's about Jeffrey Rush playing the Marquis de Sade. And Kate Winslet is the sort of laundress at the asylum he's staying in that he's like trying to seduce. But she's, you know, too clever for that. Mm. And Joaquin Phoenix plays the priest who's trying to reform de Sade. And Michael Caine is his supervisor. And it's all about censorship and self-expression and sexuality and is censorship sometimes maybe censorship's not so bad or maybe it's always bad and it gets yeah really deep in like human emotions and can you repress them is that a good thing or a bad thing how does it spill out in other places if you repress mm -hmm. one thing about yourself what comes out instead and yeah quills is great uh it's, it's directed by felt kaufman Wow. Who, yeah, which is just sort of like, wait, who? Really? What? And it's one of those, like, I remember liking it, and then I rewatched it, and I, again, I was like, I'm going to go be an evangelist, and then people are going to watch this, because I told them to, and they're going to be like, Diana, you're a pervert. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Why do you want to make me watch the movie about Marquis de Sade dis discussing horrible sex things? I'm like, because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But nice. it's like, I feel like that's like, again, it's it's like it's purpose built to be a Criterion movie. You know, it's got it's got some pedigree. It's got great performances. It's pretty indie. No one saw it, but damn, it's good. Ta-da! <laughs> nice. 
Um, so yeah, I added that to my list. I'm going to be checking that out. Um, going back yeah. to your, previous- I am not a sex pervert. I just like the movie. <laughs> Doth not protest too much. <laughs> I'm just well, like you'd be very about, declarative there. Like I said, it's about Desaad, and and so much of his thing is like I have these crazy sex thoughts, and if I don't write them down, I will actually go insane. I'm not insane right now, even though I'm in an asylum. But if I don't get them out, that will make me crazy. Right. Um, like, okay. So yeah, they describe very silly and unrealistic things yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what was it uh oh and i feel like if you would want going back to your previous choice of peeping tom if you want to have like a great triple feature like an all-night thing a double leak oh then psycho and peeping tom nice then i can't take a shower or a bath no it's garden be hose. too scared to <laughs> uh I, it, it, and I, I I like how Hitch was kind of stung by the fact that he couldn't do a double leak, and he's like, "All right, fine, I'm gonna one up you with Psycho." <laughs> um, my my two honorable mentions. I had a third one, but I totally forgot what it is because I didn't write it down in time. Um, I would love to see if they if they ever recovered the director's cut of P.T. Anderson's Sydney. Oh, well, I know yeah, we have Hard Eight. But like, there's apparently like 40 minutes missing from that movie, or like, there's like a whole bunch of it, or if not else, like, at least put Hard Eight on Blu-ray because that's not on Blu-ray either. Oh, that's not fair. No. Nope. Bes- besides, just for completeness, it's just a good movie by itself. Yeah, I mean, Philip Baker Hall is transcendent in it, and John C. Riley, Gwyneth Paltrow, and. I'm not the biggest fan of Gwyneth Paltrow as the person, but I love her in this movie. Yeah. I'm just like, and I mean, just the motel scene between the three of them, like at the midpoint of the movie is just like anxiety inducing because like, I just get out of there. Just stop talking. Please just leave the room. <laughs> um, And yeah, I mean, it's, you can probably find it on the DVD market, like, like eBay, stuff like that, because the, the commentaries are worth their worth in gold right there their weight in gold excuse me and the other honorable mention i know there's a blu-ray out there but i would love to see an updated version with a maybe a better scan of it and maybe an interview with this director because if there's one spielberg movie i think that should be in the criterion collection it's the sugarland express nice and hmm. it's, because it's like his take on a terrace malick movie yeah oh i hadn't thought of that Oh, to watch Sugarland Express and um Badlands? Yes, thank you, Badlands. I was picturing it in my <laughs> head. Um that is I hadn't I had never connected those before. That would be really interesting. And, and I would like it. So I know Spielberg doesn't do commentary tracks, um like so, like a lot of filmmakers, but I know on the Brian De Palma movies, whether it be Dress to Kill or Blowout, they had interviews with like Nora Bombach interviewing De Palma on the movies mm-hmm. and I would love to somebody do like a 45 minute interview with Spielberg on Sugarland Express specifically because a lot of interviews like oh yeah like Duel it was my first like TV movie and everything it was really big Sugarland Express then I did Jaws you're like well but it's just Goldie Hawn William Atherton's a good guy for once <laughs> <laughs> Ben Johnson's amazing in this like well can we talk about this oh okay hmm Hmm. What is he hiding? 
I don't know. I mean, it's the first time you work with Vil- Vilmo Zygmunt. I mean, just the, the staging wow. that, that the, all the car chases. I know, I don't know if it was Ebert or Pauline Kale that was just like, yeah, Sp- the young Spielberg stages car chases really well. Human drama? <laughs> eh, a little bit. And I'm like, well, just you wait. Uh, yeah, it's it's too bad that he doesn't. Yeah, he is not prone to extras because going through after I did the films of 1991, looking for okay, what films from 2001 would I like to see in the Criterion Collection? And it's like not necessarily for the movie itself, but for the background. I I would love him to talk about AI for a couple hours. Yeah, and just and, and the making of that and and all the technological stuff would would be pretty interesting, but. To hear about Spielberg and Kubrick trying to collaborate on something and what what were Kubrick's plans and where was that going and what did Spielberg do with it? It's like, yeah, that's like that would be more interesting than the movie itself, which I actually mostly like. I do, too. I mean, like it's if somebody wants to have faults of the movie, I, I say like Kubrick worked on a movie for 30 years and couldn't crack it. So if you want to take it as a criticism of the story not working, there's your evidence. But I still marvel at the technolog- technological advances with the CG characters. Yeah. And I don't know, just the, the gut punch of that ending. Yeah. And as somebody who's lost a parent, like, yeah, like, what would you do for one more day? And I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really, astute and everything but I'm just like oh, i'm just like yeah the ai find him at the bottom of the ocean i can turn the movie off now nothing mm-hmm. happens after that i don't want to i don't want to feel those feels yep yeah when i saw it in the theater there were people who walked out at that point someone had told them <laughs> that's when you should leave oh no and they left and i was like okay i don't think i agree with you but i'll i'm going to see this out and i'll tell you if you were wrong <laughs> yeah. Um, but- hmm. Let me think. Who else? Oh, on the on the sort of like social justice side, there are actually mm-hmm. two Spencer Tracy movies that I'm kind of surprised aren't in there. Uh, one is Fury, and one is Bad Day at Black Rock. Oh. And yeah, I was like, I was really trying to think of like, okay, great directors and their under recognized movies, and Fury is one of them. Not not the uh, not the tank movie. No, there there's an earlier movie from thirty six, directed by Fritz Lang of all people. Hmm. And yeah, start googling. That's fine, but it's about lynching. Oh. Is, I mean, they're lynching Spencer Tracy and he's a white guy. So, But it's basically about how mob violence is wrong and the fact that it's made by a German director in 1936 in the U.S. Should tell you what it's actually kind of about, but they can't yeah. say it. Uh, and it gets pretty tough. I mean, they, yeah, they really try to murder this guy. This town really gets whipped up in a frenzy and they're into it. And then. They're sort of all called to account and realize, oh, inside I'm a bad person, maybe, or not. Um, uh, whatever. Yeah. I feel like, gosh, now that I talk about it, I feel like after January 6th, I should have rewatched it. Uh, I uh. mean, <laughs> it, it, it's not funny. It's just cosmically ironic. From my other podcast I do, we're supposed to record that day. Mm. And there's two reasons why we did that. One, my co-host says, like, 
I'm not in the right headspace right now. And I'm like, neither am I. I'm pacing. Yeah. So like, we shouldn't do this. And B, the movie we we're going to do that day was Assaults on Precinct 13. And we're like, <laughs> no. <laughs> because the other podcast to do is Please Rewind, the RF, RF Forum Retro Show. We talk about movies when it comes to anniversaries. We won't do it on mm. the day like how 30, 20, 10. But like, well, all right, it's the, it's the year. We'll do it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. Um, Assault of Person 13 is 45 this year. So we should do that. We'll, we'll open the year off with that. And they were like, no. Oh. So we kicked that down. Like maybe like six months we'll do that. But yep. it, it's curious between Fury and M, Fritz Lang had a fascination with mom, mob mentality when it comes mm-hmm. to tracking people down. Yeah. I wonder why. It's, I mean, also there's some of that in... um. Ah, Metropolis. There's, you know, the big uprising of the mob at the end, which always made me feel uncomfortable, even though it's supposed to be like, the workers are revolting and they're going to get something. I'm like, I don't like mobs of German people at this time. They make me nervous. No. But then you're like, but the architecture is beautiful. I'll concentrate on that right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, we'll live in a brutalist society. Okay. Maybe if I work hard enough, I can go live up in the clouds in this fancy place. If I just work hard enough. Ugh, yeah. Yikes. Um, but yeah. Bad Day at Black Rock is a good choice because I don't think John Sturges has spoken about enough. Oh, yeah. That's another good point. I'm sorry. I'm just looking to see. Is Fury streaming anywhere? Because I feel like it might not be, which means absolutely. Please put this on Blu-ray somewhere. Oh, it's rentable. Okay. You can rent it online. Anyway, yeah, yeah. John Sturgis does not come up much. He's he's a like a C lister for fancy director types, and yeah, that's not fair. I I mean, he has one irresputable classic. That's the Great Escape. Yeah, which is now in the Criterion Collection, and it's a gorgeous transfer. And when I rewatched it, I totally forgot Richard Attenborough was in that, and I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, you're in here. <laughs> Because I always remember James Garner, Donald Pleasance, and Giles Brunson. But I'm like, yep. oh, wow, Richard Attenborough. Like, so like, I was just fascinated by that for like two hours of the right time. Like, wow, you're in this. Yeah. But, oh, my God. You were young once. What? Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. come on. Magnificent Seven and Gunfight at the OK Corral are both a lot of fun. But True. Yeah. Great Escape. That's often people... And like, how do I get into classic film? That's sort of like the gateway film I like pointing people to because it's like it's action oriented. It feels modern, mm-hmm. but it also feels classic Hollywood enough that it's like, let's ease you in here. Great escape. You just go watch that. Yeah. Well, you don't want to give them the Magnificent Ambersons or something like that? Yeah. No. So, all right. We're starting at the beginning. Vertov's man with a movie camera. Come here. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Earth to the moon. Like, oh, God. No. No. no oh. Please. No. Or... So let's say, oh no, Battleship, Battleship Potemkin. There we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't do that. Like, no. I try to move people backwards a little bit. It's like, all right, well, what do you like? Well, let's find things that influenced that. And barring that, we'll watch something like The Great Escape. It's just fun. Here, go. Bridge on the River Kwai. It's fun. Not really. Go. Yep. <laughs> Which, do you want? I, th- I may watch Bridge on the River Kwai tonight because I have it. I haven't opened it up yet. It's like, it's the bad thing about being a collector. Like, I want that on the shelf, and I've not touched it. And I'm like, Ugh. it's bad on my part. But 
And I guess the reason why we're bringing this up is because earlier this week, a gentleman became Twitter famous because he's like, I don't watch any movies before 1975. And I'm like, does not compute. What do you mean? Mm-mm. And I'm just, I was infuriated that by, and film Twitter was a up in an uproar. No. I, yeah, I used to be a person like, what are you saying? How could you say you are uneducated, my friend? And now I'm just like, eh, it sucks to be you. I mean, why, why are you denying yourself the enjoyment of all these great things? You don't watch anything before 1975. And so you'll never watch anything in black and white at all. Even there's plenty of really modern stuff in black and white. I mean, does that mean you're not going to watch Schindler's List or The Artist? Okay, fine. Be an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, really, why, why deny yourself the joy of of seeing Casablanca for the first time? Oh. What? Yeah, that movie's funny as hell, by the way. <laughs> it's like, it's not just depressing and sad and romantic. No, that movie's a comedy most of the way through. So yeah, you denied yourself jokes. It has my favorite joke in all of moviedom, mm. where Rick goes over to Kathy and he's wondering, like, so what's the meaning of this? Like, I'm shocked, shocked that there's <laughs> gambling going on here. Sir, here's your winnings. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and the incredulous look that Bogey gives Claude Rains there. And he's just like, yep. all right, fine. Close me up. I quote that all the time. I can't say the word shocked just once. It has to be shocked. <laughs> shocked that you would <laughs> Or where he tells the bartender, like, all right, take her home and come right back. Yes, sir. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Or another, like, because I rewatched, it's become, <laughs> last year I started a tradition, the local independent th- cinema here, when you could still go to movie theaters, they showed Casablanca on Valentine's Day, and I went to that. Oh, nice. I might have been on the younger scale of the people in the theater, but... Mm-hmm. And I was in the very first row, so I was looking at pretty much 90 degrees at the theater, but every joke still landed, and everybody cheered at the right moment. I'm like, oh, it, this still works. And so this past Valentine's Day, I watched it, and yeah, it's a propaganda movie that's supposed to be just a movie of the week. Another one, the slate of Warner Brothers just became, arguably, I know people say Susan Kane, but I think... I, the reason why I say Casablanca could be the best movie of all time is because it never set out to be other than just a movie and, and somehow transcended that, whereas Wells had Wells and Mankiewicz had mm. such free reign with RKO with Citizen Kane that, yeah, of course, it, it makes sense why that movie became a classic. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Just like, this is, this is the machine... And all its parts working perfectly, even though everything was going wrong and they, none of this movie should have worked. Oh, it should have been a train wreck. Yeah. Because of that, I learned the words of the French national anthem just in case. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm ever somewhere where we have to outsing some Nazis, I am ready. (laughs) When the election happened last year, when the results came in, I'm surprised nobody blasted the French national anthem in the United States. But it probably was blasted in Paris when the (laughs) results came in that Biden was the president. Uh, But yeah. So, but we could go on for hours, Casablanca, but like, no, let's, we should probably wrap this up. All right. Uh, So I should summarize Bad Day at Black Rock too, because it's kind of a Western noir, but really it's about this guy comes into a town, uh, 
looking for, I think it was a, a guy he fought with in World War II's family. And uh, the guy that he fought with is Japanese-American. And the entire town is clearly in on some sort of conspiracy about them. And what the deal is like, they really want him to freaking leave. They're trying to get him out of this town so fast. And he's like, what is your deal? It's just this small Western town. I'm just here looking for these folks. No big deal. And they're like, suspicious. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, we don't like strangers in this town. Just do what you have to do and get out of here. And don't look, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, so it's, maybe it's not just you don't like strangers. Maybe you don't like anyone who's different than you. Like, say, your Japanese-American neighbors. And they had land that maybe you wanted. And you're going to ignore this guy who is a hero veteran and his, you know, Japanese-American friend who died for this country. And you're just going to not care because y'all suck or in a conspiracy and you're racist and stuff. But it's just that the being trapped in this town where it seems like everyone is about to kill you is a really good feeling. Like, it's really well done. I mean, it's not a good feeling. It's a bad feeling. But it's like, it's so well done of... Like how they're like he's stuck here, but also they want to get rid of him, and it's like, ah, uh, uh, you're all <laughs> against me. Yeah, uh, it's re- yeah, it's really good, and yeah, Spencer Tracy is just always the best. Like, I'm minding my own business. What is everyone else's problem? Like, he always has that vibe. <laughs> and since somebody, I forget what feature out about him i can't help but notice now whenever he looks down when he's in the middle of dialogue he's just looking for his marks and i'm like yeah oh god yeah whenever he walks into a scene he he walks in looks down looks at his mark steps on it says his line (laughs) (laughs) it's actually like it comes across as sort of like i'm just sauntering over here he's like no he was actually just look at his mark here you go (laughs) somebody pointed out that they put the footage of like a big speech at the end of like, guess who's coming to dinner? And I'm like, Oh God damn it. It's all the time. <laughs> He's monologuing, looking for his marks. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you never notice. Cause he's a pro. Yeah. But then when you see it, <laughs> can't see it. He realize, Oh, there's a piece of tape on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and when you said like, I have two Spencer Tracy movies and I'm like, but it's a mad, 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 mad world is already in the criterion collection. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Oh. Just as a historical artifact of how many people are in that movie. Oh. That it, needs it, to be there. Even though the movie is very stupid. <laughs> but I love it. It is dumb as a sack of hammers, and I'm there for all three plus hours of that length. <laughs> Even though Jerry Lewis is on screen for like 15 seconds, cross-eyed the entire time, I yeah. am doubled over laughing the entire time. Yeah, it's such it's such a good introduction to so many people that it's like, okay, well, we don't have a lot of their work. Like, if they worked in TV, we don't have a lot of access to what they were up to. Mm-hmm. You know, no one really runs Sergeant Bilko, Phil Silver's show anymore. But <laughs> you can point to that bit, and then The Simpsons doing a version of it, and you're like, <sighs> that guy. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go in the back of the airplane. Find the bar and hit the thing called booze. And the automatic <laughs> bar comes out. Yeah, that's what you want from a pilot. But, uh, yeah. Uh, 
All, All right. right. Well, now We're... I have to go find the fourth man because it looks like it might not be streaming. I might have to order it. Woo. Yeah, it might be an eBay uh, selection there, but uh, you could probably find it relatively cheap on DVD. It's not the best quality, but you can at least have it. But that's the one thing about a lot of the uh, Paul Verhoeven's Dutch work, like whether it be that Soldier of Orange or even Spetsas, like you can't really find that on high definition. Mm. And now we're uber hipster. We're talking about, well, I prefer the Dutch era Paul Verhoeven's filmography. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, um, I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode and our extremely niche and geeky conversation about the Criterion Collection and just movies in general. Now, Diana... Yeah. Those if, were a lot of recommendations there. That'll keep everyone busy for a while. Yeah. I mean, it goes the Empire podcast that had Tarantino and Edgar Wright and then this one of all the ones you should be checking out movies that you should uh, be watching in your quarantine now Diana where can people find you on social media and the podcast do you do okay well they can find me personally on the Twitter at listenanerd l-e-c-i-n-e-n-e-r-d or uh, listen to 302010 we come out every single week talking about the movies TV music of 30 years ago just that week 20 years ago and 10 years ago. So we're deep into 91, 2001 and 2011 in we're finally hitting some good stuff. 2011 has been kind of weak, but 1991 has been all over the place and it's just going to get weirder. There's so many weird movies in 1991. We got naked lunch coming up. We got, we just passed meet the apple gates. One of the strangest movies I, I can't believe exists. Uh, that's the one about giant cockroaches disguised as people who come to America and try to blow up a nuclear facility. It's a comedy. <laughs> oh, we have I'm, the dark backward coming up too. That's okay. one where That's there's cool. John Nelson again. Where yeah. yeah, an arm starts growing out of his back and he becomes a stand-up. Okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, and and the pig Newtons that they eat the entire time. Ugh. Oh, jeez. That's yeah. um. Oh shit! Who directed that? That's um. Dark backward. Yeah. Let's Is it Adam or Rob? Rob do, 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 Adam okay. Rifkin. Adam Rifkin. That's close. Yep. Who also wrote Mouse Hunt. Okay. Because Bills. That's I'm gonna I'm shock it up to that. That makes sense. And then 2011, it's been slow for quality, but we do have two great ones coming up. Uh, Rango. Speaking of Mouse Hunt, Gore Verbinski. I love Rango. Mm-hmm. Uh, a to- a kids movie for film nerd adults and bridesmaids. Yes. <laughs> oh. <sighs> bridesmaids bridesmaids should be in Criterion. There aren't enough comedies. No, but also you can also make the same argument. There's not enough animation in the Criterion collection. It's just it's Akira and the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm. I think that's it. Okay, yeah, that's true. Well, you're never going to get any Disney in there. Maybe you'll get no. some Ghibli. Maybe they could cut a deal. Spirited Away should be in there. I, if Disney will let up the stranglehold yeah. of that. but Probably not. No, but I, I doubt you're going to get the Merry Melodies and the Looney Tunes in there. Nope. You know what? Fuck it. It's the Fleischer Superman. Those oh. are public domain. Are they? I'm pretty sure those are in public domain. Oh. And then I I don't think there's no reason for whomever who could still be working on that could it be uh, if there's anybody still alive that or a chronicle of that, then you get the 
people who did the Batman animated series, like, yeah, we owe everything to this series. So the reason why you love this Batman is because of the Superman show. But yeah, yeah. that'd be nice to clean them up and have some background information, a little documentary or something. Mm hmm. Um,. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me both on Twitter and Instagram. It is at this is Tim Rooney, uh, Rooney as an R O O N E Y. Uh, my other podcast, please rewind the RF4 RM retro show. We talk about movies when it comes to anniversaries, kind of similar to 30 2010, but we're not as rigid when it comes to anniversary, like the uh, coming out the exact date. Um, the latest episode. Oh, you have you have to be rigid because otherwise you don't get to talk about Silence of the Lambs on Valentine's Day as it was intended to be seen. <sighs> I wonder how many. I gotta check the box office that weekend. I wonder how many first dates or just Valentine's Day dates in general happened because of Silence of the Lambs. Yep, I will never stop reminding people <laughs> that Silence of the Lambs came out on Valentine's Day. <laughs> that is perfect. Romanza. <laughs> um, and my YouTube channel, Through the Lens Productions, youtube.com slash Through the Lens Productions, where all my short films are up. And the updates when I start making my future film, pandemic permitting, permitting, excuse me. And Diane, I want to say thank you for taking time out of your day to talk about the Criterion Collection with me. Yeah, thank you. This what, it was just an open book to nerd out about any movie I want to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts wherever you get your podcast. come back next time to continue to talk about geek and pop culture and we'll be speaking to you soon